Morning. Uh, we're in this series, Expecting the Unexpected. I, I had a kind of giggle when Brennan was drawing uh, folks' attention to the people who did a wonderful job decorating. You know it's good when a colorblind guy thinks, wow, this looks good. I don't necessarily see all the colors, but there's some pretty cool shapes out there. Anyhow, we're looking at expecting the unexpected, and it was funny because Kathy Worley is as kind of the team lead on this thing, and she does a great job with design and thinking it through, and she just went through a painful surgery, and Brenda and I come walking out of the office, and she's laying on the floor. We're like, oh, no, we broke her. <laughs> you know, what are we going to do? So above and beyond the call of duty, Kathy, way to go. We appreciate you. <laughs> Wasn't quite expecting that. Well, you know, this, as we do this journey, it's really important because I think sometimes Scripture can get uh, overly familiar to us. You know what I mean? And, and, and it's like, oh, I've read that. And uh, of all the things I think that um, can become strangely familiar to us are the two most important stories in the Bible, the birth of Christ and then the death and resurrection of Christ, because we hear them so much, right? And so Brent and I are talking about, well, what, what is God saying to us? And uh, so let's mind those stories, and in particular, look for the unexpected. And there's lots of places. And so this morning, what we want to do is we want to take a look at um, two characters in the Christmas story that are familiar to us, and in particular, answering this question, God, is that you? This Kind of this question of, how do we discern, is that God? So this morning we're going to look at Zechariah and Mary, and we're going to kind of go back and forth in their stories. So in, in Luke 1, if you want to open up there, we're going to jump around. I'll put kind of the, the main chunk that we're going to look at. For example, we're going to start with Zechariah. In verse 12, it says, When Zechariah saw him, that's the angel, he was startled and gripped with fear. Let me give you some context here. So um, the priestly duty was to go in and to light the incense. And uh, it was kind of the start of uh, the sacrificial time. And Zechariah, the good priest, is heading in to do this when he has this angelic encounter. And, and Z, as his close friends call him, so we'll call him Z. Z is making his way in. And I want to give you some context about this priesthood idea. Number one, Z was one of 18,000 priests. Yes, you heard that right, 18,000. So if you think we have a lot of pastors, we can't compete with that. But I want you to get the background of this. He's one of 18,000. They serve terms in the temple twice a year, a week long. They go to the temple in Jerusalem to do this kind of thing. The service that Z is doing is once in a lifetime. So what do you think the odds are of lining up all of that at this time when Christ will be born? You think maybe God's at work? One in 18,000, he does it once in his lifetime. He's only there two weeks out of the year. I mean, I think that's a great vacation schedule for these priests. Maybe we can work that up, Brendan. You know, we're here twice, a, you know, a year for a week-long stance. Anyhow, it's amazing. And I want you to notice for Z as he steps into this, what is he, people? What's his experience as he steps in? 
He's startled. Give me your best startled look. <laughs> Janet has a really good one. Come on, work with me. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. We got that on video camera. That will be on YouTube this afternoon. So on the other side of town, there's this young lady, Mary. And we know lots about her. This is what happens in her story. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting might this be. So she, too, is startled, right? She's like, wow, what, what is happening here? Now, let's think about Mary. Mary is betrothed to who? Joseph. You know the Christmas story. Now, when you are betrothed to someone, it's in, in uh, Israel culture, Israeli culture, there's, it's a two-part deal. The biggest part of the deal is the engagement. The first part where you, you kind of work up the contract. Who's going to get what? What are you going to give to get this bride? How is this going to be established? And the family works all those details out. And that happens in the engagement phase. So here in America, when you're engaged, it's just the beginning, right? We look at the wedding as being kind of, there it is, it's done. But listen, by the time you are betrothed to someone, you are basically married. The deal's been cut. Already the goods have been swapped. It's just a matter of making it final on the signing day. So this is where Mary is at. Furthermore, I want you to think about this. In many uh, places in history, people are betrothed this way and they're as young as 12 years old. Let that sink in. How many of you have 12-year-old daughters? I mean, when Maria got married, she was in her late 20s, and that was tough. I started negotiating with Mirko, my son-in-law, right at the front of the altar. Are you sure? <laughs> you know? So Mary's 12. She's an extremely young girl. Maybe she's 13, 14. Probably no older than 14. She's in an unlikely place. She's in Nazareth, which is basically mm, not quite the slums, but getting there. Usually you had people that couldn't make it someplace else, would go there. So she's an unlikely kid in an unlikely town, and she's about to get an unlikely gift. Right? Get your, get your head around this. So what we want to do as we open up these stories is we want to say, what can we learn about expecting the unexpected? What can we do when, when all of a sudden life comes to us and, and it's a shocker? Number one, listen to this, people. God specializes in surprising us. Can I get an amen? Is this not true that God, when God shows up, it, 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 it's generally surprising for us on the planet. It's no surprise to him. It's interesting, he, you know, Z draws the lot, but it's, it's a once-in-a-lifetime job. He's one of 18,000 priests. You got Mary, this, this gal who's engaged. It, you know, it, it's, it's not surprising to heaven, but it's an incredible big surprise for these two characters. Now, why is that important? It's important because we should realize that when God visits us, it is an exceptional otherworldly experience. We are talking God. We're not talking your neighbor, 
your coworker, your fellow student. We're talking God Almighty coming into this story. That should be a shocker, shouldn't it? When God comes, it should be, wow. Now, what's interesting is the numbers of different ways that God catches us. And I was thinking about this because typically we think in order for it to be this surprising shock, it needs to be like Elijah's encounter. The Lord says, go out to Elijah and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord's about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. Surely God is in that. Is he? No. Wow, really? Because it says the Lord wasn't in that. After the wind, there was an earthquake. Surely. He says he'll shake all things, right? It's got to be God. Is he in the earthquake, people? No. Huh. After the earthquake came a fire. Oh, yes. The fire of the Lord. Right? No. Well, where is he? After the fire came a gentle whisper. Oftentimes, we say, oh, I can't be God because it's not like fire. It's not this explosion. It's not this mighty wind. It's instead this whisper. At times, though, does God come like a mighty wind? Ask the people at Pentecost, Right? So what we need to do is to realize that when God comes, we should expect the unexpected. He's other than us. He comes to capture our attention and our affection. The reason he does this is he wants us to realize in no uncertain terms that he is other than us. We need that revelation because we tend to, as we go through the day-to-day-to-day, we tend to... I think become overly familiar with God and overly familiar with the Word of God. And, and, and in a sense, we, we kind of become numb. Think about Z. He's been a priest all the days of his adult life. It's his career. And this routine is going on over and over and over again. And there's been all kinds of priests that go in and do this duty of lighting the incense. And when they come out, you know, what was it like? Well, it was kind of quiet in there. It was kind of dark. Incense smelled good. Anything happen? Well, no. Okay. Day after day after day. And so these things for Zeke could become strangely familiar, couldn't they? Do you think he went in expecting to have an angelic encounter? No. And I think sometimes what happens to us is, as we go through, we lose the otherness of God. Right now, ladies and gentlemen, do you realize the Almighty is in our midst? Do you realize that? The way one uh, woman preacher said it is, if we really believe what we read in the Scripture, we would show up in church with helmets on, wrapped in cushion and pads, We would buckle ourselves into our chair and we'd sink down waiting for an explosion if we really believed in the God of the book. 
I'll see you next week with your helmet on. But seriously, is this not true? If it's God, it should be other than what we expect, right? But sometimes we get so casual, we kind of go through the moment. And so I, I think part of what is happening in Z's life is he, he's being faithful. It says he's righteous. It says he and his wife have been doing good works. And we can become a lot like Z. You come here Sunday, 9 o'clock. You probably sit in the same spot as Pastor Tom nailed a couple weeks ago. And you're faithful. You serve at different places. But sometimes we've got to go, am I really looking for the Almighty other than God? Or have I shrunk him down into a little box that surely can't contain him? So, you've got this thing that's happening. God comes to surprise. Now, what is this all about? Well, here's what the angel says to Z in Luke 1. He says, but the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer's been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him Zechariah Jr. No, call him John. It's very unusual. Normally in, again, Jewish tradition, if that family name, if John was not in the family name, you wouldn't call him that. So God is saying, we're going to add this guy to a different family line. Hint, hint. So here's Z. He gets this news, this other encounter, and he says, you're going to have a son. Now, I want you to think about this guy who's been faithfully serving the Lord. And we know at the start of the story that he and his wife have been childless. I've, through the years, as a marriage and family counselor, worked with people who have fought infertility. They've gone the route of trying to work on the timing, all the kinds of things you can do, checking the hormones. Some have gotten all kinds of different treatments. It is an arduous and pain-filled process. And watching these couples, sometimes they come and see me because in the, in the, in the quest of having children, what should be... A joy of marriage has become, I had a lot of hard work. Doesn't seem to work. In their culture, you know what it would have been seen of? They believed in retributive theology, which is you get what you deserve. So it would be a quandary for the community. This is what it would sound like at the marketplace. Is she pregnant? No, not again. Ah, It's so hard to figure out. Zechariah and Elizabeth seem like such good people. They seem so godly. They seem so righteous. Ah, but they must be doing something wrong. There must be something not right in their relationship with God, other than surely God would bless them with children. And that would go on over and over and over again. Month by month, season by season, that would be the talk, and you would know it in a small town. Do you think that would make you a little calloused after a while, people? Do you think maybe you would start getting to a place where you're not really expecting the unexpected? That was his situation. That's what he's in. What about Mary? Mary hears this. Wow, you talk about a mind blower. This, this little girl is just thinking about getting married. 
probably sometime in, uh, well, surely within the next year, could just be a matter of months, she's planning her wedding. My son Joe is going to get married next weekend. He's marrying a young lady who is an event planner. She plans, she has planned events, large-scale marketing events for Best Buy. She now works for the Red Cross and all their major fundraising efforts. Red Cross is a big organization. She plans the events. Ladies and gentlemen, for well over a year, we've been getting spreadsheets and task lists and timelines. She is locked in. She does not miss a beat. It's like, wow. I mean, if I need something planned, I'm going to ask Kristen to do it because she doesn't miss anything. She has, she just dots all of her I's, crosses all of her T's and gets it done. I don't know what Mary's thinking right now, but she's certainly not thinking about having a baby. Not yet, right? So the angel comes, and it's one thing now, if you cross back to the story, it's one thing for Z to hear that he and his wife in their old age are going to have a son. Who does that sound like? Abraham and Sarah with Isaac, right? It's like, well, you can dig back into history and that happened. How many times has God come and pregnated a young teenage girl to deliver his son? This is like blow your theology up, right? So here is Mary thinking wedding, planning wedding. Eventually, children, sure. God says, huh, you're going to give birth to a son and you'll call him Jesus. Now, why does God do these things? We know that he comes in a way that usually captures our attention because he wants us to realize he's other than us. He's bigger than us. He's greater than us. He's more than us. But he presents these plans that seem audacious. Why didn't he answer the prayers back when they were well within their child-rearing years? I think, I I didn't get a chance to double-check this, but I think the record for oldest woman delivering a baby is 69 years old. Wow. I'm 56, and I think if we had a baby in our house, I'd die. <laughs> what is God doing? Well, this is the principle. All of God's plans are God-sized. Of course they are. But we forget that, don't we? And he's coming to both these people, and he's saying, I got a God-sized plan for you. Now go back to Z. He, he's in a moment where this has got to be a little tricky for him and his mind is getting blown and, and he, he just he can't put all this together. First of all, it's an angel that's talking to him. That's never happened probably in his life as a priest. And this angel who's talking to him in this moment tells him he's going to have what he's always wanted his whole life, a son. And strangely, he needs to name his son this different name that's not in the family tradition. That's a bit of a mind blower, isn't it? And oftentimes what happens to us when it comes to thinking what we got the plan of God is we're like this goofy t-shirt I saw. Look at this. God told me to tell you not to believe any other person who told you that God spoke to them and to give me your lunch money. See, usually we're after lunch money plans. It's that, because we can handle lunch money, but really what we need to be thinking about is something like this. 
A God-sized plan. This is a 777-pound hamburger. You can actually order this. You got to do it several days ahead of time. 700, look at that, Brendan. What do you think? 777 pounds. And what, what, what's happening here is that God is blowing up their world, not to blow up their world, but to make them realize that all my plans, and to help us realize all my plans are God-sized, like 777. I thought that was interesting, a spiritual number, right? 777. If it was 666, I wouldn't use it. 777, I can use it. You see, God, God does this not because he just wants to make you crazy and f- flip your lid, but because he wants to lead us into an important truth, a truth that we need to get our heads around, that God doesn't need our ability. Do you realize that? He doesn't need our ability. What he needs is our availability. That's what God is after. He's after that. And, and this is a struggle for Z because he says, how how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. And my wife is well along in the years. Notice he doesn't call her old. He's a smart husband. He's like, I'm going there. But she's, she's getting older. And in other words, see, what I want you to think about Z because imagine this. Do you think they talk anymore about kids? Probably not. Do you think couples that are married, do you think they even broach that topic anymore? Do you think when Zechariah comes home, you know, he he says to Elizabeth, I can't wait for us to start a family. Do Do you think they say that anymore? And he hears from this angel, which I I don't know. I, I, I think once, once in my life, I think I saw an angel. I'm not sure. The angel did not talk to me, but I think I, I, I saw this angel. I think. Now, if the angel were to turn around and talk to me, I don't know what I'd do. I think I'd, I'd surely be startled. But it's one thing to have this angelic encounter. It's another thing to hear that the very thing that you and your wife have been hoping, 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 but not seeing, seeing, seeing is going to happen come to pass. And how how do you think in Zechariah's heart, he's imagining going home to say to his wife, guess what? We're going to get pregnant. Ladies, wives, get the shotgun, right? So I I empathize with Zechariah. I, I think, ooh, I ask a lot of questions. I'd be like, how much time you got, Gabriel? Can we talk? Could you maybe coach me through going home and telling my wife that after all these years? And then I'm going to name him John. Help me out here, right? So he, he, what he says is, he says, how can I be sure of this? And oftentimes when God comes to us in a way that captures our attention, and he begins to unfold a God-sized plan, we fall right where Z does. And we start to try to make sense of it, don't we? That that sounds a little radical, God. I mean, 
I'm not even sure we're on priestly health insurance anymore, right? You know, I don't know if the birth, the pregnancy rider is still working on that. You know, we, be, and we, we begin to try to shrink the plan of God down into a manageable size that we could do. And the whole point of God is he's blowing that up because he wants it to be only something that you could do with him. Is anybody guilty of this? I'm all the time. It's t- I, I just, I could so resonate with Zechariah. I mean, so many things. I think, how would I ever tell my wife that? How will I ever tell the congregation that, God? What if they don't believe me? And my brain goes. So my heart just goes out to Zechariah. And I think we should learn from him that in this moment where the the unbelievable unboxable God comes and delivers this incredible, mind-blowing plan that we should beware because we will try to shrink it down with reasonableness and ration. And this is what uh, Z is doing. And as the story goes, he's told, you know what, you're not going to be able to talk because I don't want that kind of talk spreading around. I just want you to, Zach, just, just be quiet and watch me work. Let's be quiet. Watch me work. Now, how does Mary do? Well, the angel talks to her and says, you're going to have this, you're going to have God's son. She goes, well, how will this be? She asked the angel. She says, I'm a virgin. And in some ways I look at this and go, now, why, why isn't Mary, why isn't she quiet? And she's kind of asking the same question. But it's certainly not in the same context. You're talking about a priest who should know the story of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and have that, have some semblance of faith. This is a young teenager, 12, 13, 14, whose mind is now blown. She's a virgin who's engaged to be married, and she's going to have God's son. Wow. But really, when you look at what Mary is saying here, and you begin to look at some of the different translations and the efforts to do this, she's, what she's really saying is, Wow. Wow! Wait. How can this happen? Because I'm a virgin. And then the angel explains. The Holy Spirit will come and overshadow you. And you will bear God's Son. And what is happening in this moment, really, for Zechariah, he's taking longer to get there. This beautiful, young, teenage girl is capturing it quickly as they want, God wants us to get the fact that he's got everything under control. He comes outside the box to get our attention. He comes with a plan that just blows up boxes. And he wants you to realize, listen, I will do this. I got this. I hold this. And he wants us to realize that the only way this is going to happen is with extreme confidence that with God, all things are possible. And when we begin to try to shrink down the plans of God, and we begin to reduce them down into something that we can put in our own hands, are those impossible? Do those take much faith, trust, risk? No. When those kinds of things happen, 
It's easy for people just to explain it away. Well, yeah, that's just Spencer. That's not God. I really like the rendering of the TNIV in this. It says, for no word from God will ever fail. No word from God will ever fail. When I was in Miami, there was a lady who was our cook at this halfway house. And her name was Gloria. And she was aptly named. She was a wonderful singer. uh, Just a, a striking, beautiful black gal who'd been in the kitchen all the days of her life, I think. She could just, you know, the stuff she would cook with a few cans of corn and I don't know what else would be amazingly good. But as good as Gloria was at doing those kinds of things, the thing that was really remarkable was her faith. And this was a halfway house where people that had committed crimes would go to the Dade County uh, um, judge and the judge would say to them, listen, you could do your time in the slammer, or you can go to Riverside Halfway House, maybe get your high school diploma, and maybe get some training for a job and get straightened out. Kid, which do you want? And most of those young kids, first-time offenders, would wind up at Riverside. But do you think because they came to Riverside that they were all fixed? Nope, they were rascals. And they would attest to me that somehow Gloria has eyes on the side of her head and the back of the head. Because when Gloria would bake, she'd open up all the windows and it would flow through. And if there was any sense of liking baked goods in anyone, they'd be drawn to the windows as Gloria baked. Now, these guys are guys that, you know, they probably stole cars, robbed banks, maybe shot at somebody. Do you think stealing a few cookies is any big deal to them? Nope. So they were famous for trying to rip off Gloria's kitchen. And oftentimes she'd be doing the sink. And then they come. And there was one kid, Shetty Davis. The kid could have been an Olympic boxer, but got himself in legal trouble. He was a fantastic boxer. And he was a wascally wabbit. And he came sneaking in thinking, oh, Shetty thought he could sneak by Gloria because he's light on his feet. He's going to get himself some of them chocolate chip cookies that got his name on it. He's stepping towards the chocolate chip cookies. Gloria's got her back to him. Lord, I'm calling out Shady Davis's name right now. Lord, would you touch that boy? Would you help his heart? Help him realize that you're a God who always sees. <laughs> Shady Davis is just backpedaling. Wondering how, Gloria. Gloria, was, she was my fav, favorite person in Miami. I learned so much from her. She used to say to me, listen, she'd say, and she'd say this to me all the time. She goes, you think too much. Well, what's wrong with that, Gloria? She goes, listen, God said it. I believe it. Let's do it. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> and then she'd always finish. You know, you'd be walking out the door. She'd give me an exhortation. You know, I'd come in, I'd... Tell her about some of the counseling that was going on. It's like, oh, Gloria, I don't know if this is going to work. What? What? God said it? Do you believe it? Yes, ma'am. Wait, is he going to do it? Yes, ma'am. All right, then. Get out of here. And she'd call out my name. Lord, I'm calling out for Mark. Help him to stop thinking so much. And start believing more. See, she had a merry heart. Not M-E-R-R-Y and M-A-R-Y. 
Because Mary really is the example to follow in this. You see it in her heart. You see it in her response. You see it in what she does. Yes, God startles her. Yes, God's plan is mind-blowing. Yes, the things that God is calling her to do stretch her, and it's impossible, certainly impossible for her to do. But she's doing it. See, we're in the season where everybody's asking the question, well, what do you want for Christmas? But rarely do people ask the question, what does God want? Right? How often do you hear that? Mary knew. She captures it in this verse. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. If she's 12 years old, she just rocked my world. I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled. See, what does God want from Christmas? He wants this. That's the word God loves to hear. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Scripture says to obey is better than sacrifice. Jesus tells us the son can only do what he sees the father doing. Yes, Father. Yes, Father. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2 say that the reasonable act of our worship is to be a living sacrifice. In other words, live it out. Do it. Say yes. Now, does that mean if you say yes, God's going to ask you later on in your life? Um, is he going to ask Ron and Bonnie Opheim in this season of life to have a son? No. At least I don't think so. <laughs> is he, is he going to ask some young 12? I remember talking to, I, I was trying to think of this little girl's name, but um, I was doing a, like a children's sermon. This was down at Burnsville at Faith Covenant. And I, so I was talking, and it was about the the story and then when I was leaving I felt the tug on my pants and here's this little girl six or seven big blue eyes I'm gonna have God's baby I said really would you do that yeah I'm gonna do it well guess what you don't need to I mean that's already happened but you know what you can carry God's son around in your heart that's important you could do that you know and so we had to talk about it, but she, she was so craving the yes. But for us, the yes is more like at the office Christmas party, will you talk to the guy who annoys everybody? If the Spirit of God goes, go talk to him. Will you sit next to Aunt Betty at the Christmas feast? Will you... Pick up the phone and call that person you know you're supposed to call, but you really don't want to. Will you walk across the foyer and talk to the person who's leaning against the wall with no one to talk to? Simply because the awesome God presents an awesome call and goes, Hey, Mark, go talk to him. You see, rarely do these great opportunities to serve God happen. 
It's usually everyday opportunities that could become big deals. But if we're not careful, we discount them because we think, oh, it's not, maybe not that big of a deal, or oh, I don't know if I could do that. God, when you say, oh, I don't know if I could do that, God goes, well, that's my point. I think we'll do it together. And so this Christmas, this season, wouldn't it be awesome to be radical like Z and Mary and say yes? Starting now. Lord, whatever you want to say, go ahead and say it. Let's pray. Lord, we read these stories. We've heard them a lot. I know for me, I am convicted to the 10th degree over my need to say more yeses. And as we prepare our heart for the offering, I wonder, God, if you're not tugging on the hearts of many in this room to say yes a little bit more. Not to these astronomical calls, but to these things that are so easy to miss. Going to that neighbor, that shut-in. Talking to that lonely person. Walking across the room and introducing yourself. Helping that person who's not easy to help. Whatever it is. So as we do this offering, we put our money in. We use it also as a a prayer opportunity to say, we're going to also put in our fears and our hesitation. And our reservation. And we're also going to put both feet in and say, you know what, God? Help me say yes. I hear you. The God of unexpected. And you're kind of unexpectedly tapping me on the shoulder. Help me now say yes. In Jesus' name, amen.